So hi, online villagers, and hi, um, Mike and I get to be in the same building while I am preaching, which does not happen very often. I think this might be the first time that we get to both be at Village Church on a Sunday. So I'm going to be on my best behavior. I hope you guys are on your best behavior. Um, and we're, we're going to have a good time getting into God's Word today. Um, I have a question. And so... Um, Church Online, if you want to jump in, maybe write some in the chat, but um, let's do a yay or nay, yes or no. Have you ever received contradictory advice before? Have you ever? Yes. Let's put that in the chat. Yes, I have. We got some hands up in here. Yes. You go, you ask one person, what should I do? How do I do this? And why do we ask questions like that? Because we don't know. And because we need help, right? Normally, if I go to ask a question, I have tried a couple things on my own that did not work out first. And you go to this person, you ask, well, how do I do this? And they're like, well, very simple. You just do it over there. Oh, okay. And then sometimes you ask another person, and they tell you something completely different. Now, when I do need, you know, an answer to a question, um, there is a very special friend who is always with me that I ask. And some of you might think, you know, the churchy answer is Jesus. I was thinking of Google. (laughs) Because, you know, Google will give you answers. Google will give you responses. And if you ask Google a question, you're going to get like 500 million articles, whatever. Like I never go to page two, so I don't know how many <laughs> it's actually giving me. But, but you scroll through that and you start to read, you know, article number one. And it says, well, this is very obvious. You do it this way and you use these tools. And anyone who does it this other way is lying to you. They're terrible. They're just leading you astray. And then you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. You go to the next article. And it says, everyone from the first article was lying to you. They're terrible, and that will lead you down a road of destruction. Do not go that way. And you're like, well, then what do I do? Now, maybe you were taught as a kid to do things a couple different ways. Maybe, you know, mom taught you how to load the dishwasher one way. Dad taught you how to load it a completely different way. You go to school, and you step into one class, and the teacher says, oh, you need to, you know, do your homework in this way at this time. And then you go to a different class, completely different rules. How is there not, like, one format for papers? But, you know, I'm going to leave that rant aside. I see some college students that are amening. Yes, amen. How is there not one format for papers? But it's, like, different rules, and you're torn between these different stories. Maybe at work. This never happens, right? We work for great organizations that never have conflict. You never have one boss that thinks it needs to be done this way, and another boss that thinks it needs to be done a completely different way. And we never get caught in the crossfire with that. Isn't that great? No, like that happens to us. We're torn everywhere. Now, my wife and I had a baby in January. And did you know that with child raising, there are lots of different opinions? I had no idea. No, I knew this. I knew what was coming. But everybody's like, oh, well, you got to do this. She's got to sleep in the crib. She's got to sleep in the bed. She's got to eat this. She's got to eat that. If you don't do that, she'll grow up really weird. And I'm like, you see her parents. She's going to grow up weird. But, you know, we're trying to do the best that we can. And we're getting all these conflicting stories. 
And the same thing happens with our money. Oh, awkward silence. We're all laughing when I'm talking about babies. Babies are great, right? Preach on babies, but ugh, money. Well, here we are in a series on money, which is really, I love the way that Pastor Mike said this in the first kind of episode of this series, where he said that this is really a series about sanctification. This is really a series about how God interacts with our lives. And when the rubber meets the road, how do we follow Jesus in the day-to-day? Because I'm a big believer in the fact that we worship Jesus on Sunday, and we sing songs to him, we gather in church, and then on Monday, we still worship Jesus. (laughs) But we worship him when we go to work, and when we eat at the dinner table, and when we maybe swipe our cards and do business and have transactions. Like, does God care about that? Yes, he does. We just finished up that series in Colossians, right? Talking about how God is greater than the universe, the creator, this, you know, transcendent God over everything. And then here we are talking about finance because God is also what the theologians would call eminent. God is with us. God is in the middle of our hardship, in the middle of the week that you just had. The moments that we liked, the moments we felt his presence, the moments we cried, the moments that, you know, we went through hardship, and sometimes it felt like, you know, the rug got pulled out from under us. God was there. And so when it comes to our finances, let's not have a disconnect where we say, God you can have, you know, every part of me except the wallet. There, there was a tradition in the Middle Ages when a warrior would get baptized. He would hold his sword out of the water because he was making this agreement with God. He said, God, you get to have every part of me except I'm still going to go to war and kill my neighbor. That's, that's intense, isn't it? God, you get every part of me except this. And one pastor has said, how many times, this is going to get real heavy real fast, I'm warning you, but how many times as Americans do we put our wallet in our hand? And we're going, God, you can have every part of me. And so, like, let's, let's trust Jesus. Let's follow God. And we do think that in the Bible, there's a new way of being human And that intersects with our finances. Let's pray. Father God, we want your spirit to speak to us today. We want your word to speak to us. Father, whatever story we have brought to the table, God, we want to honor you. And I pray that you would just be nudging our hearts in the right direction as we try to follow you. It is in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I have felt so torn in my adult life about what to do when it comes to personal finances and this idea of saving, right? We've talked about generosity, we've talked about debt, and then I get to talk about this idea of saving money and finances, and it's a part of our life. And I have felt torn from kind of two different angles of the story. Number one, When I was at the end of high school, kind of starting out in Bible college, I would spend my summers living out of my car 
with a duffel bag going from camp to camp to camp, and it was awesome. It was so much fun. It was like, I do not regret any of that. I also had some summers where I had to, you know, buckle down, get a job, save up, do all that kind of stuff. But like, I had this attitude like, you know, Jesus is the one sending me to Bible college, so he's going to have to figure out how the numbers on this all work, because I'm just going to show up and do this thing. And somehow, right, somehow I made it through. And then I got married. And I had this idea of like, well, you know, you just trust God. And if a church would ask, well, how much money do you need, you know, for your salary? And I'm like, oh, well, what will God give me? And this just really open-handed posture. And I found out my wife did not like that attitude. (laughs) For some reason, she was looking for, you know, a plan and some stability and for us to like have our, our game face on. And and we, we got married and started our life together, and one of us had a full-time job with these things called benefits that are so cool, and, you know, we actually probably weren't making um, a ton based on what we would look at now, but back then, man, you come out of college and beans and rice and all that, we just were like, whoa, this is the most we've ever seen. We're, we're living high on the hog, and we go to this thing called Applebee's. It's great, and we're just having a good old time. And I can tell you the day that the honeymoon phase ended. The day that life just kind of popped back up, and I would say it knocked the wind out of me a little bit. On Sunday of that week, we were in a five-car pileup on I-5. It was scary, and thankfully God was in it. Nobody was was terribly injured as a result of this. Um, But like all of a sudden... I'm on the phone with insurance companies for like hours that week as there's all this stuff going on. Then on Wednesday, one of us gets food poisoning and spends 24 very uncomfortable hours. And then on Friday, one of our job situations just drastically changes. And that was a huge shift, like from woohoo, life is great, to oh my goodness, Somebody's got to be an adult. And that started this journey in me. And one of the best decisions that we ever made as this young couple, just starting out six months into our marriage, we enrolled in a finance class at a church, which the curriculum of the class, I don't think was anywhere near as important as the people it introduced us to and the elders at our church who came alongside us And we were just, you know, this young pup saying, teach us, show us what we need to know, help us to honor God and walk in our marriage in integrity in this way. And they did. They came alongside us, gave us tools. We got on a game plan and it was great. Then you fast forward a couple of years. And my, what had started out as this passion for like getting a game plan, providing for my wife, caring about her transitioned to what I think would be like an unhealthy obsession. I was listening to uh, two hours of finance podcasts a day. I was reading so many, like every book I could get my hands on. And I was just trying to cram all this, you know, information in. 
And I got to the point where once again, I was in a crisis moment, sitting down with mentors, except this time it wasn't, Andrew, you need to get game on and focus on your finances. It was, Andrew, you need to take a chill pill, bro. You need to chill out. You need to, like, no wonder you can't sleep. You're reading finance books at 10 p.m. That's not healthy. Maybe that is healthy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know your life. Like, I don't know what you got, like, on the nightstand next to what you're reading, but... But for me, like, I needed to stop obsessive, compulsively checking my account balance, and I needed to stop getting my sense of security from a number on a computer screen. And, and I, it really popped up when, like, if I would have to part with even, like, a small portion of my emergency fund, I would start to have some anxiety reactions. And I don't think that's what God has for us. And so maybe we can all agree, right, that, that happy-go-lucky, at some point, we should all not live out of duffel bags in our cars, like going from youth camp to youth camp. But also, let's not have extreme anxiety and worry that God's going to come through for us on stuff. And so I think I felt pulled between these two stories. And so I'd ask the question, like, what What's a guy to do? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live and approach this? And we do get stories and told contradictory things. Our world will give us different stories that we get from our family of origin, what your family would and would not do with money when you were growing up. That shapes how we approach our finances today, what culture tells us, right? And then some of our experiences shape us and how we approach this. And our culture will tell us the story of consumption, which says, I am what I do. I owe it to myself to go have as much fun as I can. That's what the commercials and ads are popping up constantly on the phone and the television and everywhere. Like, you need this product. You are incomplete if you do not spend this money on these things. And I don't think that's a complete story. I don't think that's a good story. On the other side, you have hoarding resources, piling it all up. It says, I'm not safe unless I have more. I have to have more and hold on to it, and I'm not even going to let it go at all. We're going to get into this Christmas season, right? One of the most famous characters from all of Western literature is Ebenezer Scrooge. Good job. Oh, we got some literature majors in here. Our English teachers would be so proud. No, it's a cultural phenomenon, right? Disney had to turn him into a duck. And Scrooge, he doesn't even enjoy the money that he has. Like, he is a miserable dude because he's just grabbing on for more. And so we would say, well, that's bad. Hoarding is not a complete story. And so maybe we jump in and don't get too off put by the fancy word, but asceticism which would just say, reject the physical. Let's go into the spiritual. When our preaching team was talking about jumping in with a finance series, we had to clarify, right? The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love, the obsession with, the, the going after money at the expense of all else, that is a root of evil, that's not good. And we've experienced that in our life. But I would also say that like shame 
does not come from God. And many of us carry shame with our finances. We're ashamed because we're in debt. We're ashamed because we're not in debt. We feel guilty because we have money. We feel guilty because we don't have enough money. And I wonder if similar to like when God in the Garden of Eden looks at Adam and Eve and he's like, who told you that you were naked? Who told you you were incomplete right now? I wonder how many of us that God would say, who told you you're bad at money? Who told you you're not doing a good job? And so maybe we need to not carry so much of that. And yes, so asceticism, that's an incomplete story. Materialism, we know that the end of that is foolishness. Keeping up with the Joneses. Who are the, does anyone know the Joneses, right? Some of you, like, but we, we have this pressure to keep up and have all of the nice things. Materialism has this other really dangerous message that says there's a scorecard in life. And it's called your bank account. And that number on the computer screen determines how you should feel about you. That's unhealthy. Like we can all agree on that. So let's look at what the Bible might say. I'm going to look at a couple stories and perspectives about what the Bible might say when it comes to saving money. So we're going to spend a lot of time in one of my favorite books of the Bible. It is the book of Proverbs. And I love the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs is all about this thing called wisdom. Biblical wisdom, the Hebrew word chokmah, is this thing that God built into the fabric of the universe. And there are things that are very, very true in this world. If you make good decisions, by and large, those good decisions start to pay off. If we do these things, you get these results. And I love how honest Proverbs is about the way the world works. Right, Mal? My 10-month-old daughter is trying to figure out how the world works, and we have learned that if you hold something out and drop it, it falls to the ground. We have also learned that dad will pick it up and give it back to you, <laughs> which means you can then drop it again. Right? This is cause and effect. And I love how honest the book of Proverbs is about that, because if God built this world, that he would know, right? And so as, as a young man, I made it my habit every January, I would go into the next year, and I would meditate on and read one chapter of Proverbs every day for the month of January, because you got, you know, 31 days. Maybe that's a good habit you might start. And I was just so passionate. God, how do I get wisdom. So here's some ground rules, though, for Proverbs, all right? Ground rule number one, it is poetry over promises. I know people who have been, like, hurt, or they have put their hope in, like, if I do all the right things, then I will get all the good stuff. That's not biblical theology. That's prosperity theology. And Proverbs is going to give you a poem to think about. And we don't speak Hebrew, so we don't get the rhymes, and we don't get some of the poetic aspect of it. But there is an element to where we hold it somewhat loosely, and we meditate on these poems. Number two, ground rule, and this goes for the whole Bible, but the Bible is meditation literature. It is not a proof text. The Bible is an invitation to wrestle with truth, to encounter God in life. And so I think that, and not something that I just get to prove all my points by saying, look, I have a memory verse. 
that means that I'm right and you're wrong because I have a verse. That's not the way to use the Bible. So I think the Bible should be a conversation starter, not the conversation ender where we jump in. So let's, let's go. Point number one, here's what wisdom would say to us about saving. Proverbs would say to save. Mic drop, there you go. That's the whole sermon. Like, yes, do save. That's, that's the theology that the Bible would give us. You know, don't consume it all. Proverbs 21, 20, we read it. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but the foolish man devours it. The verb there for the foolish man, it means to gulp it down, to like just chug it and consume it. Um, I do not drink very much soda these days, but my little brothers always try to get me to taste the new flavor of Mountain Dew or whatever. And a lot of times I say no, and it's this little game. My brother's like, here, try this. Here, try this. And so one time, we're moving, helping my parents move. I'm really thirsty, and I was like, fine. You know, crack it open and just chug the can in about two seconds. And they're just standing there like, what happened? I didn't, like, taste or enjoy that at all. But that's what the picture is. The foolish man, he grabs the oil, the resources, and is just like, you know, gulp, 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 consume, consume, consume. And in the house of the wise, there is treasure, which in that day and age, like that's your liquid cash. That's the stuff that will let you go and do the things that you need to do to provide for your family. And then oil, oil is this really, really useful thing in the Middle East. There's like a religious significance. There's anointing that you do with oil. There's some hygiene elements where anointing with oil is also a practice there. It's also involved in food and you know, creating meals and sustenance. That's good. Who likes to eat? I like to eat. Yeah, yeah, eating's good. And then also the energy of your house, because you'd put oil in your lamps. And so this picture, which is just black and white, juxtaposition, the foolish man is gulping it down, and the wise man has stores at his house. And before you and I jump in with an American Western mindset— Let's think about what it means in that culture. Because in the Eastern world, if you have oil and treasure, it's not just for you. It's not just hoarded up kind of doomsday prepper style, right? But it is something that you give to the community. In the Old Testament, God's people, they were supposed to take care of the AOWs, the alien, the orphan, and the widowed, the people who couldn't provide for themselves. And so part of saving is not just so I feel better about me and my life is put together, but it's this cause of I want to do right with my resources. It was a really empowering thing the first time that I was able to offer a significant amount of money or give a significant gift to help someone in need. That was a big deal for me. And maybe it was a big deal for you when you've had the chance to do something like that. And that makes me so much more passionate about starting a discipline of saving or starting to put my finances together, not just so I can build the kingdom of Andrew, but so that I can help the people that God puts under my watch. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5.8, it says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
that's heavy, but I'd flip that around and say, like, God has put people in our life that we're responsible for, that are priorities to us. So yes, let's save. Number two, save for expected things. Wisdom would tell us, you know, that we can expect some things. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Any day you get to say sluggard from the stage is a good day. (laughs) O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without any chief or official or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So it's, it's really intuitive. There are seasons in this world. We will go through seasons where we build our savings. We will go through seasons where we draw on the savings. And that's not cause for panic or insecurity. That means the world is turning the way it should. And there's this element of, you know, you save for the expected things because... Um, Christmas is coming, like, every year. Did you know that? Right? Like, it's on December 25th this year. Um, you will probably want to retire at some point. Like, that's, that's probably coming. That's part of life. Like, and then there are rhythms that we just have. And so we can expect things and go after it. God built the, the calendar for the nation of Israel to have Sabbaths and working days to go after things, but also to ease up. And so there is a season for everything, but we also save for unexpected things. Proverbs 27, 12, a sensible person sees danger and takes cover. The inexperienced keep going and are punished. We know that tires go flat. We know job situations change. We know that people get sick. And so there's an element of saving and, and prudence. Oh, there's, there's a word that would make the English teachers happy. Like, that means that we are responsible and we look out for these things. Wisdom would also say that we play the long game when it comes to saving. We think big picture. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And it is so interesting that God seems to care about things that happen slow. Almost all the best things in life, they seem to come slow. A good marriage takes a long time to build. Not just like 12 weeks of premarital counseling. Like it takes years to work on this stuff. Career and skill. It takes a long time. I wish that character had two-day shipping. Wouldn't that be so cool from Amazon? Yeah, just gonna get two-day shipping on character. I've been working at this for like, you know, a long time, and I still am not happy with who I am all the time. There's still a gap between who I want to be and who I am, and God's working on my heart. Eugene Peterson described following Jesus as a long obedience in the same direction. And so we do, we think big picture. We start really small. And this, I do just see this as a hang-up with people. They're like, well, I can't save, I can't give, because I can't give, you know, hundreds of dollars a month. I can't save hundreds of dollars a month. Well, what can you start with? What can we start with now to be faithful with those things. Because we don't have an all-or-nothing 
mentality. This year, I tried to transition from cycling to running. And all of a sudden, I went from these really long rides to like very pitiful small runs. Because it was like wearing on my knees differently. I'm trying to get into this. And I'm not a terribly athletic person to begin with, but I'm trying. And so I, I go after this, and I just felt like terrible about my runs. Because I'm like, this is not impressive. I don't even want to post that or like share, you know, my runs or whatever. Because I'm just not proud. But it's a little by little thing. We start small. And so I think those are great things that wisdom would tell us. Those are great. But I do think that's incomplete for what the whole Bible would have to say. On the other side, wisdom, we've got wisdom. It's this beautiful, wonderful thing that God cares about and has put in this world. But also the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And God seems to be obsessed with small things that other people might overlook becoming big things in life. And like the kingdom of God, Jesus talks about it as a mustard seed, right? That grows into something big. And Abraham was called by faith to leave his, you know, city and his family and start something brand new. And so faith is this other side of the coin. And so when we approach faith, let's remember that ultimately God is in control and he will provide. God is in control and he will provide. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, look out at this world. Do you see those birds? They're doing all right. You see those flowers? They are more stylish than you. That's how Jesus said it back then. No, but like, he's like, see these flowers? Like God is taking care of them. And I love verse 34. He says this way, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let tomorrow do the worrying for you. You don't need to do it today. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so I almost, I have to remind myself that worrying about tomorrow is not on my job description. That's on tomorrow's job description. I'll let it do that. I don't need to. And I think that helps me approach my prayer life a little bit better, where I'm not worrying about things to God. I'm actually letting go of some things. The next one and maybe we wouldn't say it this way, but this is, this is the way that I think um, it speaks to my soul. It says, we don't need to insure ourselves against God. We don't need a savings account that, that makes sure that we are safe and comfortable despite what God throws at us. Because I think that's a bad, bad perspective. When I was in high school, one of my um, worship pastors at church and kind of a mentor in my life, he had a tree fall on his car. And the insurance company said, that is an act of God, and we will not pay for it. And I just have a real quick, like, side note. How is insurance code the thing that God shows up in, in our culture? Like, the insurance agencies are like, yeah, God is real, and he's doing stuff. Everywhere else, no, we're not going to have that, but insurance, man. But this, this fear 
an idea that, you know, not trusting what it is that God might have for us down the road, not trusting that he's got it, and maybe it is uncomfortable, but he's there with us. I have been through some ups in life. I have been through some downs. So have you. And the classic song, what's it say? God has not failed me yet. I'm still here. I'm still kicking. It didn't go the way that I wanted it to every time. But I think there is an element where faith says God is a good, good father. And some of us didn't have, like all of us had some level of imperfect father. Some of us did not get a picture that's accurate to who God is in the parents or the authority figures or the people that we trusted to take care of us. And sometimes I think I need to remind my heart and my soul, like, it is okay for you to be the kid in the back seat and let God be on the steering wheel. Because how ridiculous is it, right, for the 10-year-old to be like, I got this. Like, let me drive. Let me go. I got this. No, God is our good, good father. Jesus tells his disciples, like, if you know not to give your kid a stone or a snake when they're hungry. Like, you know to give them fish and bread, because that's what they gave them for Lunchables back then. If you know that, how much more does God know what it is that you need right now? How much more does God see into your situation? And how much more is he able to come through on that? I think the final thing faith would say to us is to have an eternal perspective. In Matthew 6, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there is a perspective that the stuff in this world is not eternal. It won't be here forever. And I think about this, this pretty classic story. This shaped my understanding of it. This is not a theologically accurate, like, Bible lesson right now, okay? So that's my, that's my uh, caveat. But it's the classic story of the guy who's rich, and he's famous, and he has all this money and all of this wealth, and he knows he's going to die someday, and so he makes this deal with God. See, that's where it's not theologically accurate, right? He says, I'm going to put all of my money into gold. I'm going to take one suitcase with me up to heaven, and that's going to be great. And so he puts all the gold in the suitcase. God lets him take it. And when he gets to heaven, everyone's like, wow, what do you have in your suitcase? And he opens it up and he shows them all the gold and they go, oh, pavement. Because the perspective, like let's have a long-term perspective. Okay, so the Bible says wisdom, like let's save faith. Let God take care of it. Well, which is it, Andrew? Like, how, what do we do today as a result of that? And I think that the sweet spot between wisdom and faith is faithfulness. Faithfulness says that it's all God's and I'm just managing it. The earth is the Lord's. Everything here belongs to him. And that's a very freeing idea because you're not responsible for all of it. There's so many things I can't predict, so many things I can't do. And some of that needs to be on God's job description. Faithfulness also says, I am grateful 
for what God has given me and who God has made me to be. In Psalm 16, 6, it says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And that verse speaks to my heart because I want to push and get stuff done. I wish that I did not have to sleep as much as I do in the world. Like, I wish I could just get after it. My dad can survive on four hours of sleep a night. And he's, you know, one of those just really cool and crazy, maybe a little, you know, whatever, people. And I'm the kid who could not stay awake at the slumber parties. Because, like, I have these limits. And I'm always hitting these limits. And maybe you're hitting limits in your life. You've got emotional energy that's getting sucked up at work. You've got financial resources. You're like, I wish I could do this, but I can't because I'm trying to keep me afloat right now. And God says, these boundary lines, they're in good places. That's a good place for that to be. And we don't have to jump on, you know, his throne in his place. Faithfulness also says it is all about the heart. It ultimately comes down to the attitude. Randy Alcorn, who wrote the book Money, Possessions, and Eternity, and our preaching team really dug into that as we were crafting this series. This is what he says. The difference between saving and hoarding is not the amount it's the attitude. Because you can save a large amount in gratefulness and joy, and you can save a small amount in fear and anxiety. And our heart, it has to say, I trust God with tomorrow and with yesterday. And this is a big deal. When it comes to saving, we've all seen this on the internet, right? The, the charts that are like, this is the power of compound interest. If you started saving when you were five years old, you'd have a bazillion dollars right now. I'm like, well, that's great. I am not five. Like, I have many years in the workforce. And if I had, yes, like, you know, if I had in high school started my Roth IRA mutual fund with 15%, you know, whatever, stuck in there, yes, I might have more. But God, like the story of the gospel is that God meets us where we're at. The story of God working in this world all the time, like from Genesis 3 all the way the rest of the time, people, we make mistakes. And then God comes in and he writes the story, and he makes something beautiful out of some of these terrible situations. And that's why we have a cross on our stages, Dallas Church, Village Church, because that's the hope. That's the fact that there was something terrible, that God died on a cross, but that through that, we have life. And we worship the God who turns situations around. And so when I talk about savings, like, no, that's not something to beat you down. That's something with hope for the future. And so I want to ask you, like, what does faithfulness look like for you today? What does faithfulness mean? We walk in wisdom, we walk in faith. What's that sweet spot for you? Some of that we just have to figure out all on our own. Dr. Tim Mackey said it this way, that oftentimes what we want is a map we want all of the directions, turn left here, go over there, and what God gives us is a compass. He says, this is true north. This is the direction. 
that I want you going. And so then sometimes we stumble, sometimes we trip, sometimes we make good decisions, sometimes we make bad decisions, and God is in it all. And so maybe faithfulness for you means you're going to put saving and giving somewhere in your budget, doing something. Maybe you're going to remember that God ultimately owns everything. You're the steward. He is the Lord. Are you going to put that in the right place? Maybe this means you're going to save less. You're going to like back down the emergency fund or back down some of the aggressive retirement funding and say, I might need a different perspective on this. I don't know what God's calling you to, except I actually do. It's his kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We worship you. We trust you. You're our good father who looks out for us, who cares about us. Father, help us to be faithful and diligent with what it is that you've put in our life. And God, please come in and fill the gaps. Fill in the moments that we fall short and do something beautiful. In your name we pray. Amen.